So we come to our last few uh, bold judgments tonight, verses 8 through 11. Two more bold judgments, and then we'll see their response. The fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. Now, in Revelation 8, 12, the sun was darkened. Uh, we don't have any indication that this judgment was uh, released. It may have been, this may be the releasing of this judgment. Uh, the sun might uh, become more intensely bright. Uh, but here in Revelation 8, 12, it says the fourth angel sounded and a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were struck so that a third of them would be darkened and they would not shine for a third of it and the night in the same way. Uh, so now we, we decided that this was probably a decreasing in the sun's brightness. Uh, and so this is quite different from the judgments here in the um, bold judgments. Obviously, they are not the same round of judgments restated, um, but I don't think it's absolutely necessary that the sun be uh, reinvigorated for this judgment. Uh, it could be that the Lord allows the sun's heat to reach the earth without its brightness reaching the earth, so that despite the sun still being darkened from a few years earlier and never recovering from that point, uh, he may take away part of the atmosphere so that man is burned despite the darkness of the sun. Uh, however it happens, we know very literally here uh, that men will be scorched with fire. Uh, and actually, let me jump ahead a bit here. No, that's okay. Men will be scorched with fire. In chapter 8, of Genesis uh, verses 21 and 22, we have the promise after the flood uh, that God's not going to judge the earth with a flood again. And more than that, he's going to keep nature relatively stable. Um, it says the Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and that was the sacrifice of Noah. And the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. For the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. Again, it says God is going to make man scarcer than gold, but God is not going to destroy all men from the earth. And I've got a, a verse later on that shows that there will still be mortals uh, living at the time that Jesus Christ returns and sets up his kingdom. But here... Noah records a little poem, and I don't know if he wrote this or if God taught it to him, uh, but this was a poem that Noah recorded, uh, actually that Moses recorded for us of, of Noah's. It says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. While the earth remains, nature itself will be, uh, will be stable. So next time uh, someone tells you that the world is ending because of global warming and uh, there's nothing we can do to stop it, just point them to Genesis 8 and say, yeah, but God holds these things in stability. And there are cycles, uh, but the earth will not be destroyed by uh, man's mistreating of mother nature, but it, 
because of man's disbelief in God. Additionally, in Jeremiah 31, verse 35, we have the promise of the uh, sun, moon, and stars remaining in their fixed order um, until Israel passes away, but that is to say that Israel will never pass away. Jeremiah 31, 35 says, thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar and the Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel will also cease from being a nation before me. So this is the security that Israel has, that they will survive, and also that we have as well, uh, that the, uh, the earth will not be destroyed and not even Israel will be destroyed completely off the face of the earth while these celestial bodies remain and while the seasons remain intact. But God is using them in these last days as judgments. And this particular judgment uses the sun, but notice the sun has not departed. And the sun is still used for light, however diminished it may be. And this may be why God does not just destroy these elements, but rather uses them. Uh, because he has promised that they will not disappear. However, Malachi 4 speaks of the Lord's day as well, and he speaks of it coming in intense heat. So one of the reasons I'm giving you some of, some of these Old Testament passages is to show you that the day of the Lord does anticipate all of these judgments coming, and all of these judgments will be present and in effect at the end of uh, the tribulation period when the Lord returns. That is what the day of the Lord speaks of. So uh, we have here the uh, prophecy of Malachi, chapter 4, verse 1, that says, Behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and evildoers will be chaff, and the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Again, I believe this speaks of the very last hours, even, of the tribulation period. This is the great day of the Lord. And that brings us to bowl number five. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became darkened. And they gnawed their tongues because of pain. So the throne of the beast is the same throne as the throne of Satan. And in John 12, 31, it says that now judgment is upon this world, and now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Satan is the ruler of the entire world not just a section of it. In 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case 
the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Um, so although the Antichrist's government will not be without rebellion, will not be without uh, holdouts, in fact, we'll see the armies of the East resist his rule over the entire earth, still, um, judicially, his rule will be over the entire earth because his rule didn't come through conquering the earth, but it was handed to him by Satan. In Revelation 13, 2, it says, the beast which I saw was like a leopard and his feet were like those of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion and the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. Remember, Satan also offered Jesus Christ all of the thrones or all of the nations of this earth if he'd only bow down and worship him. And Jesus Christ, uh, rebuked Satan with the word of God itself from the passage in Deuteronomy and uh, essentially said no, uh, but here the Antichrist is going to say yes. He will take the throne of this earth in the same way uh, as uh, Jesus Christ was offered it in the Gospels. And a little later on, we see his authority over this earth it was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who has been slain. So we will get uh, in the, in the sixth bowl, we will see uh, a, a uh, rebel nation that will come against the Antichrist, uh, but the Antichrist's reign is over the entire earth. It will be a one world kingdom. And so when it says that this is poured out on the throne of the beast and that his kingdom became darkened, this is analogous to saying that the entire earth became darkened because that is the kingdom of his throne. And this, uh, this is agreed with by the minor prophet Amos in chapter 5, verse 18. And it says, Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord, for what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom and no brightness in it? So we have all of these judgments compounding and all of the minor prophets uh, pulling out a piece of what these last days will be like. There will be intense heat. There will be darkness. There will be flesh rotting off the bones of those who have come up against the Lord's people uh, at the Battle of Armageddon. This is also similar to the ninth plague on Egypt. In Exodus 10, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. Again, this uh, darkness which may be felt, some people have a hard time uh, seeing why in, uh, why here in verse nine, it says, or verse 10 rather, that they nod their tongues because of pain. Uh, obviously this is a different kind of darkness that we experience when we just turn out the lights. Now, I've been in a room that's dark enough where it, it seems that there is no light at all, or if, uh, 
if you're in a cave or something, I don't know, I've been in a cave in South Dakota where they turn out the lights and you almost feel the, uh, the pressure of being in that darkness. Uh, it almost becomes painful. But this is going to be a divine darkness, a divine judgment of darkness. That's not just going to be the extinguishing of the light of the sun, uh, but the absolute perfect absence of light. Uh, I have no trouble believing that that is going to be painful. Uh, and here in Egypt, we see a bit of it, uh, perhaps even a lightened bit of it, that says that darkness may be even felt. Um, so Moses stretched out, stretched out his hand toward the sky, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. So just in the same way, this affects those who have taken the mark of the beast, uh, so that those who have not, those who are faithful to God, those who in Revelation it says have persevered by not taking this mark uh, because of their faith in God, uh, will not be affected by God's judgments in these last days. But the uh, unbelieving world will be affected by these and will be tortured by these, and they will deserve every bit of it. In uh, <clears throat> right after uh, bowl number four, I didn't read the next verse because their response after bowl four is the same as their response after bowl five. So I wanted to deal with those at the same time here. It says that men were scorched with fierce heat. Now these are the same word. Scorched is the verb for the same uh, noun heat. This is a reduplication in the uh, Greek that basically is adding intensity to it. And their response was they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues and they did not repent so as to give him glory. And after the fifth bowl, the bowl of darkness, it says they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. So notice that this is how the unbelieving world reacts. Uh, this, they're just digging their heels in even further. They're not repenting of their deeds. Um, this is an unrepentant, unteachable generation, this last generation. And it says, the rest of mankind, sorry, this is in Revelation 9, after the trumpet judgments, it says the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. So this is a generation that has rejected God and wants nothing to do with his grace. In Revelation 9, 5, it says they were, or this is, uh, sorry, let me <clears throat> go back here a bit. So here, uh, this is one of those last evidences. Um, I said, once we get to verse 11, I'll point this out, uh, that they're blaspheming God after the fifth bowl because of the pains and their sores. Their sores was bowl number one. So from bowl number one to bowl number five, they're still experiencing all of these judgments. This is a merism in the Greek, which basically is saying from right to left, 
from their sores to their pains that they're feeling in this darkness, uh, none of these are causing them to repent. Uh, in Revelation 9.5, under the trumpet judgments, we see that these judgments had a terminus. They had an ending uh, with the, what was this, the fifth trumpet? It says they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of scorpions when it stings a man. So there was a limit to how long uh, these torments would last. And they ended before the sixth torment began. Uh, all right. So we have compounding results. These judgments are building in intensity and they're building on each other. Uh, and let me point out a bit how that looks when we look at them all together. Uh, we have this, uh, this sea of blood and this river of blood um, causing not just a coagulation of blood over the entire earth, but then a lack of water for them to drink. And once they have a lack of water, now they're getting intense heat. It doesn't come that the heat comes first and then they lose their water. Uh, but their judgment is in reverse order, essentially, that they're going to lose what they need before they even need it. Uh, so the blood or the water turns to blood um, before they are scorched with heat and will have no blood. But think about it also, if the heat had happened before the blood or before the sores, uh, those, how do I say this better? Uh, having the sores first and then the heat, the heat is going to exacerbate the pain of those sores. The heat is going to exacerbate the, uh, the terribleness of the coagulated blood. Think about the entire earth, all of the water, both salt water and fresh water now being boiled uh, on the earth. Now add to that darkness over the entire earth uh, that you're in terrible heat. The entire earth is basically made of blood that is boiling and you're covered in sores that are now being blistered and burned and you're gnawing on yourself because of the pain of the darkness added on top of all of this. These are the last few days of this earth. These are the last few days because no one can survive this for three and a half years. These bold judgments do not begin immediately. The last, uh, let me get back to my slide here. The last three and a half years is the wrath of Satan on this earth. Chapter 13 tells us what happens in the last three and a half years. Chapters 14 through 18 tells us what happened in the last few days. This is probably the last seven days or less. Uh, one of those verses back in Amos was why I think it might be all happening within one or two days, maybe three days of the end. Uh, I would very, very strongly doubt that this happens any earlier than seven days before the end. And they're going to come in rapid, rapid succession, building on the pain so that uh, if the Lord did not come to end it, uh, life would itself have been extinguished by these judgments alone. Now, these are not the last judgments that we are going to see, unfortunately. Uh, fortunately, but unfortunately. Uh, bowl number six is going to dry up the Euphrates River. Now, some people look at this and say that that is a contradiction because the Euphrates River is turned to blood. Well, all that means is that the Lord is going to dry up the bloody Euphrates River. 
uh, it's not saying that he is drying up water in the Euphrates River. He is drying up what is flowing through the river of Euphrates so that the kings of the east can enter. The kings of the east are who are coming to fight against the Antichrist. Uh, these, this is a nation of the earth. There is going to be civil war because the entire earth is going to be under one government, the government of the Antichrist. At the same time, the Lord returns. There will be war raging on earth when the Lord comes to wage another war. And then will come the complete destruction of all things, the earthquake that will uh, even top all the earthquakes that have happened already in the tribulation period. And that will bring in the end. But that is also my sixth point of why I believe these happen right at the very end of the tribulation period and not all along the way. Uh, and that is that these abut the Battle of Armageddon and seem to even be happening at the same time based on those passages from the uh, minor prophets. These seem to be happening at the same time as the Battle of Armageddon. Uh, we know that those Transjordan tribes are going to be spared. Um, Edom, uh, Moab, and Ammon will be spared. Uh, I'll show you the passages next week that point towards that. But the reason I've made such a big point of these all happening right at the end is because uh, even some of the best scholars like Tim LaHaye, who I know he's thought of as a fiction writer, but it's actually Jerry Jenkins who wrote fiction based on Tim LaHaye's prophetic research. Tim LaHaye has the, uh, has the bold judgment spanning the entire last half. People like to just divide these out evenly over the entire tribulation period. And sometimes that makes them want to put the trumpet judgments spanning the uh, midpoint of the tribulation or even on this side of the tribulation. And it seems to be an effort to balance things out. Uh, nothing needs balancing here. These judgments conclude the entire seven years. Uh, they don't make the seven years more terrible. Uh, the reign of the Antichrist makes it terrible enough. These come to end the reign of the Antichrist in the last days of the tribulation period. All right, so we're about halfway through Revelation chapter 16, and this isn't a high point to end on. Uh, so I think I'd like to go back and read one more verse, one that we've already read, uh, just so we can end on a high note. And that again is Psalm 19.9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever, and the judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. The Lord is coming in judgment, and he's coming in judgment that this earth sadly deserves. All right. So with that, I'll remind you all one more time. Actually, this probably won't be the last time I'll remind you. I'm going to keep reminding you until you're annoyed, so you sign up. Uh, we're doing a Life of Messiah class uh, six months through the four Gospels doing it at Tacoma Grace Bible Church in East Tacoma. So uh, come and join us if you um, have the ability. With that, we uh, finish Revelation chapter 16, halfway, uh, the first five bowls of the last judgments on this earth. Are there any questions or comments or ridicules for heresy? And I have to say that went by fast. That did go by fast. <laughs> yes. I, yeah. The judgments are going to come fast, too. <laughs> I thought it was good. Good. Uh, Who are the kings of the East? The kings of the East is, uh, I mean, no one really knows, uh, but it, 
be the nation of India, it might be the Chinese. Uh, all we have is the direction. But one thing we do know is it, it's going to be a nation that has not accepted the rule of the Antichrist, or it's a nation that has rebelled against the rule of the Antichrist. It may be one of uh, the three nations that has uh, rebelled against the Antichrist whom he kills. Uh, we'll look at a couple of passages in Daniel um, to show you that not all of the kings of the world, because there's going to be 10 kingdoms, not all of them will remain loyal to the Antichrist. Um, so personally, I think those are going to be uh, maybe a few nations in the East uh, who rebel against the Antichrist. Uh, so yeah, we'll look at that. But basically, all we have in Revelation is their location. That's my next question is the, the, the Antichrist is going to be the one world government. So the different kingdoms will still have kings. There'll still be individual rulers over countries or regions. Yeah, they'll be like vice regents. Um, or you, you could even say like our governors here. Uh, I, I think it'll be a bit more like uh, the, and I'm, this is just speculation. Uh, I kind of imagine it a bit more like the uh, English crown where Canada and Australia are part of their government. Uh, the Antichrist will be the ruler over those governments, but they'll have some autonomy within his government. But he will be the, the one world ruler. Ben, I had a question. Why, why, um, why do we need the angels to tell God that his... His judgments are just. He's true. telling us. I mean, God, did, are there are there judgments that are not just that he does in the Bible? Why no, do they? I don't think these angels are telling God. I think they're telling the inhabitants of the earth. These voices are coming out of heaven, not to heaven. Because he said, they say, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. I mean, so they're directing that to the God. To God. Uh, it's, it's not in the vocative tense. They're not directing it towards him. Uh, they are affirming together with him. But so, I, I'm, I'm just expressing there, like, we recognize that you why, are I just. Mean, his judgments are always just, so why is that emphasized? Again, this isn't to reaffirm God. This is to reaffirm us. Scripture's written for our hearing. They're speaking for our hearing. Uh, it's the same reason we worship, even. Uh, yes, we are recognizing together with God his righteousness, uh, but it is also having an effect on us to reassure us of the truth of who he is, because that's, that's what worship is. It's a recognition of God's truth. Uh, so this, it's not difficult for God to know that he is being just, and in fact, no one teaches God, because God doesn't need teaching, um, but we are reassured by the voice of these angels. And whether it's for John's benefit, whether it'll be audible for the inhabitants of the earth who are experiencing this judgment, perhaps it's for those believers who are not experiencing these judgments, but see the uh, unbelieving world around them suffering these terrible judgments. I mean, think about it. If you were in the tribulation period and you saw unbelievers flesh rotting off their bones and trying to find water and they couldn't find water and being burned to death and then in intense darkness and not having seen the treachery of the entire world, 
the entire world's history uh, and not having God's perfect judgment where he sees all things and the hearts of all men, we might be tempted to say, God, aren't you being a little harsh? Uh, but well, I mean, it's kind of you know, late to say that at, at this point in Revelation. <laughs> no, but, uh, already a lot of harsh things have happened. <laughs> yeah, and that that's kind of why I lean towards this being for our benefit here in the church age is we're looking at these events happening in Revelation and we're not in the middle of the tribulation period. Because remember who the audience of this book is, it's written to the seven churches. Uh, where these were written for us to hear, each word of this is written for us to learn from. Uh, so yeah, these it's it's recording events as they're actually happening, but it's being recorded for our benefit. There are things that will happen during those seven years that aren't recorded, those aren't recorded for our benefit. Uh, but what is recorded is recorded for us to learn from. Yeah, and it was meant as an encouragement to the churches as well. The suffering that they were enduring in the first century under Nero and uh, Diocletian, those are sufferings that are going to pale in comparison to the sufferings under the Antichrist, but also the, uh, the treacheries of Diocletian are also going to be paid for during that last period. So, uh, no, I, I don't think these voices are telling God information that he doesn't have. Um, I think they're agreeing with him that his judgments are righteous. The same reason we tell God that he's righteous. Same reason we tell God right. he's fully and perfect. He knows that. But uh, he is... I mean, I mean, we never... I mean, I would never think of trying to tell God that he uh -huh. wasn't righteous. And so it's kind of... For, for me, it's like, why... Why is it I mean, in there? Why is it in there? You know, um, yeah. I mean, not every judgment that God has in the Bible is there a statement that says that it was a righteous action. No, not all judgments that are written in the Bible are hard for us to immediately see why they're deserved. Because if those three verses weren't in there, verses 5 through 7, we don't have in chapter 16 an immediate remembrance or a reminder of why these uh, judgments are deserved. All we see is the followers of the beast, not the beast himself, but the followers of the beast being tortured. Uh, we might wonder, is unbelief really worthy of all of these tortures? And what the angels are affirming is, yes, they are. Unbelief is the worst sin that one can undergo. If you uh, look at Hebrews 11.4, it shows that Abel, his sacrifice was one of belief and Cain's was not. And then 1 John, was it 1 John 3, 12, uh, shows that uh, Cain killed Abel because of Cain's unbelief and Abel's belief, because uh, Abel's sacrifice was one of righteousness, one of belief. So this unbelief is really the cause of all of the treacheries in this earth is the unbelief of God. Uh, so the angels are affirming to the hearer that all of these nations and people from the rich to the poor that are being judged in this judgment, each one of them deserves it. And we might draw from that theologically that we do too. We also deserve these judgments short of God saving us by the blood of Christ. We also deserve to have that end. 
Yeah, there was something you said, I can't remember what the scripture is, but it was that um, earlier on where they have, they're guilty of spilling the blood of the saints. Yeah. And it's it, it just, you know, it's like I know it, but it struck me when I heard it that even the saints are sinners, but we're covered by Christ. Mm. So we're not getting the same judgment. But that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that we don't deserve it. That just means that we're covered by Christ. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, not only is it the image of God that they've slain, but it's it's the blood spilled out for those saints uh, that has been rejected by those spilling the blood of the saints. So that that's one reason I think beyond just the simple uh, the simple heinousness of martyrdom, um, it's like a, a double whammy where it's, you're rejecting the image of God in another person, but you've not only rejected the God that saved that person, but you're rejecting that person and uh, their testimony as well. Uh, so, so ferociously that it leads you to murder. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that, yeah, I, I think it's in here to, to uh, encourage the reader that none of these judgments are overboard. We tend to look at the Old Testament and say God's, God likes to brutalize people in, in uh, Ammon and whatnot. The sin of the Ammonites was, Amorites was not yet filled up. But then we look at Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20 and see what those Ammonites were doing, or Amorites rather, were doing in the land. They were slaughtering their children. They were committing bestiality and all sorts of different sexual practices that were corrupting the ground, corrupting the very land, uh, in the same way that Abel's blood spoils the, the ground, uh, so did the sins of those Amorites spoil God's ground. Uh, so, so yeah, just as we look at the Old Testament and think God's brutal, so we might be tempted to look at Revelation and say God's brutal, uh, but we have affirmation from the angels that he's not. So these judgments um, are are um, covering the sins of. Okay, I don't know how to ask this. So we've had the dispensations, and each dispensation has had judgment. Yeah. So where the, the the judgments that we're seeing now do they go back beyond the first dispensation? Do they go back to Genesis? Or do they start like from the church age? Uh, yes, this is the uh, judgment period for the failures under uh, grace. So this is the round of judgment for the sixth dispensation. There's uh, just foreshadowing before that on certain curses and things like that. Right. And there are uh, not necessarily clean divisions on those judgments. Uh, but that's one reason why it's important that the church itself be taken out of the earth before these judgments begin. Um, because those who have come to faith, those who have accepted grace, are not guilty of rejecting grace. Uh, so the, the penalty comes on those who have rejected grace. Um, and that's the purpose of the tribulation period. It does have its fingers in other areas, just in the same way as... Uh, the flood, which was the judgment for conscience, also does stretch in and it destroys the garden. 
uh, the garden wasn't part of the dispensation of conscience, but that's when it disappeared. Uh, so periods of judgment do affect um, prior dispensations, but they don't affect future dispensations negatively, if that makes sense. So you can look at another one, the next one, uh, the judgment period after the dispensation of the kingdom, uh, which is going to be the great white throne judgment. Uh, that has the wicked dead from all of history judged and cast into hell. Uh, so that's that round of judgment is finishing all judgment. So each one kind of compounds on the prior judgment. Okay, so tribulation is basically the end the dispensational end or judgment to this dispensation yeah um, i like to look at it as like a, a mountain progressively growing uh and this is a judgment that is directly uh stemming out of rejection of grace during the dispensation of grace um but it also covers the previous ones yeah uh, the dispensation of law ended with the judgment of AD 70. Uh, and that was the destruction of uh, the temple primarily, um, but it also had, again, its, its fingers way back into the dispensation of promise with the promise to Abraham uh, that his, uh, his seed would continue and he would have land, seed, and blessing in that seed. The uh, throne of David um, at that point was judged, um, but not permanently so that it wouldn't return under Christ. Uh, so it does, uh, dispensations leak in that way, in that the judgments uh, are not for one clean uh, beginning and end of a dispensation, but all that has come before for certain sins. So that one was uh, particularly on the sin of rejecting the Messiah, which was promised. In fact, the Messiah was promised even as early as Genesis 3.15. Uh, so, yeah, judgments leak. Best way to I say. can't help but think about how not not that there's I mean it makes my brain want to draw these parallels to the seven day creation uh -huh. and how much destruction um, happens at the end of the judgment and how yeah. it's what an antithesis of the Garden of Eden and what the earth will look like at that point. It would exactly. be so ugly. Exactly. But also remember that uh, I mean, there's still going to be one round of judgment after this, after the millennial kingdom, when Satan's released for a short period of time and he draws his enemies up against Jerusalem. God's going to squash that and judge all the wicked dead into the lake of fire, and that's going to be done. But where do we go after that? We go back to a garden. It's a garden city. Right. Uh, so God is restoring all things, but this earth has to go through its rounds of blessing and cursing for belief and unbelief in the same way as Israel in a smaller microcosm uh, went through its rounds of blessing and cursing for belief and unbelief uh, because the Garden of Eden is built uh, similarly to the temple of God. And it was sins surrounding the temple of God in Israel that caused Israel's judgment. They were bringing in idols. They were worshiping false gods. That spoiled the ground. Uh, that spoiled the land, and the land spewed them out. Same thing happened to uh, Adam and Eve in the garden. They were supposed to labor in the presence of God in the garden. And because of idolatry, uh, because of the uh, listening to the serpent and wanting to be like gods themselves, the ultimate idolatry, 
uh, they were spewed out of the land. They're going to be restored to the land after Israel's restored to its land. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, well, there, there's a writing technique called mice, and it has to do with basically closing one parenthesis before you close another. So if you open three storylines, you have to close the newest storyline first before you close the next and before you close the first. Uh, so that it's like Russian dolls, they all fit inside each other. Uh, and I think that reflects God's design in our own hearts, in our own minds. Um, as we write literature, we reflect the way that he handles nature. Um, he finishes one storyline before he, or he finishes the newest storyline before he finishes the oldest one. And that's why death is the last enemy, because death was the first enemy. Wouldn't the dispensation of law end at the death and resurrection of Jesus? Yeah, it ended there. Uh, Romans, 8, or, Romans 8 4 tells us that the death of Christ is the end of the law. Wait, I can't hear what he's saying. <laughs> Too much chatter from the peanut gallery. <laughs> Please repeat. Well, you just, can you say it one more time? Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the dispensation of law ended at the cross. And uh, Romans 8, 4 tells us that. Uh, and uh, we're going to see once we get to, uh, like, between Revelation 19 and 20, that there's a 75-day interval between the end of the dispensation of grace and the beginning of the dispensation of the kingdom. Uh, so there was a 40-day gap between the dispensation of law and the dispensation of grace because the dispensation of law ends at the cross and the dispensation of grace begins in acts two at the uh at pentecost that was your question right okay yeah. say that one more time dane a little slower <laughs> <laughs> sorry okay uh, okay short answer yes <laughs> dispensation of law um, ends at the cross that means the mosaic law and all of its uh, everything that went with it ends at the cross uh, we are under a different law the law of christ now which has many similarities but similarities don't mean the same thing in the same way as america has laws against murder just like france has laws against murder but if you're murdered in America, you're tried under American law, not under French law, even if it's the same crime. Uh, so, or rather, if you murder, not if you're murdered. And, uh, so, uh, I know a lot of people try to put the church under the law of Moses, but the law of Moses ended uh, in Christ at the cross. So now the law of Christ begins uh, in the church, and we haven't looked at the new covenant yet. That's our new, or that's our last foundations that we're going to do after chapter 19. Uh, and that looks at uh, our redemption in Christ, but our redemption um, built off of the promise to Israel of their redemption, where the branch grafted into the tree, uh, not the tree itself. We share in redemption um, because we have the same redeemer. Um, but the promise was given to Israel, and that promise was ratified at the cross. The new covenant went into effect at the cross, and it's waiting for Israel to come to belief so that they can be the uh, 
original branches grafted back on. Uh, right now, they are not on the on the olive tree of blessing, and that that again is something that uh, confuses mostly Reformed theologians. Uh, they take the branches and the tree to both be uh, God's people, whereas the branches are God's people and the tree is the place of God's blessing. Right now, the church is grafted onto God's blessing. The church isn't grafted onto Israel. Uh, Israel has been cut off for unbelief, but it's still their tree. The tree still belongs to them. So when uh, the wild olive branches are put on, it is unnatural um, because it is the natural place for Israel to have. We are blessed through Israel's covenant uh, with the creator because uh, we are the body of Christ. Uh, so we naturally have that um, blessing together with him. Israel is not the body of Christ, but they are the people of Christ. Uh, they are his brothers saved by his blood, just like we are his body saved by his blood. Uh, so that, again, is a, a long answer answering a different question that you didn't ask. But uh, <laughs> yes, uh, law ends at the cross, the law of Moses, the dispensation of law. And the law of Christ begins at the cross, but the dispensation of grace, uh, which is governed by the law of Christ, begins 40 days later at Pentecost, uh, because that was the giving of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the unique character of the dispensation of grace and the church. Uh, the church did not begin until 40 days after the cross, 43 days after the cross, I guess. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> but didn't grace begin while Jesus was still walking on the earth when he said, if you believe? Yeah, actually, grace, grace. grace Grace began in Genesis 3.15. Um, the only reason this is called the uh, dispensation of grace doesn't mean that grace is a new thing, but because it's the overarching character of this age. Uh, in the same way as law did not begin in... Uh, Exodus 19. In fact, we've got laws governing nations beforehand, and we have the law of God revealed uh, even before that. Uh, yeah, so for example, uh, in Genesis 9, 6, the uh, divine permission for civil governments to practice uh, capital punishment, that is a reflection of the law of God. It's his... Um, it's his heart for the sanctity of life. This isn't a mosaic law code. It's not the law of Christ. Um, it's the law of God that predates the dispensation of law. Um, it's his. It's his character. Uh, if that makes any sense, dispensations aren't new, uh, new characteristics of God, but uh, specific characteristics of God on display towards man. Uh, so this, during Revelation, we've been doing the foundation series through covenants. When we do Daniel, I'm probably going to um, do a foundations series for you guys through the dispensations, uh, which will be building on the knowledge that we have from those covenants. All right, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your revealed word. We thank you that you've recorded it for us, and we thank you that, uh, that you have confirmed within it that you are righteous, that all of your judgments uh, 
no matter how severe they might seem to us, have been calculated up by the perfect meter of your righteousness. Um, so we can uh, agree with these angels that yes, uh, all of your judgments are righteous, all of your judgments are just. Um, so we thank you, Lord, that you have not left uh, have not left us without vengeance. We know that vengeance is yours and not ours, uh, and we know that there is a day of vengeance coming for all the persecuted saints and believers around the world from all generations, those past, present, and future. We thank you, Lord, for your righteousness. We, we thank you that it is on full display in your word. We pray that we have the, uh, the strength to walk in it by means of the Holy Spirit, uh, that as we behold your righteousness, we become more like you. Uh, and we have that promise that as we keep our eyes trained on you, uh, we purify ourselves by your spirit. And then we have the promise as well of glorification together with you that when we see you, we will be like you. Uh, so we thank you, Lord, that we have this hope in the world, and we pray for the opportunity to share this hope with others. We ask all these things, Lord, in your name and for your glory. Amen.